Good evening. Good to see you out tonight. Thank you for returning. We are taking a hiatus from the book of First Thessalonians, and we are going to be getting a different series for a period of time. We're going to be looking at uh, some notable verses in the Bible. And what we're going to be doing is Pastor Herb and Pastor Cruz and myself are going to be rotating on Sunday nights each week speaking on a different verse or couple verses from the Word of God which are very notable, well-known uh, verses that are good to understand and to be aware of. So I'm kicking it off tonight with Zechariah 4.6, which states, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, I'm speaking on this verse, but you're going to see that we're going to look at tons of verses tonight, because we're basically going to work our way through the book of Ezra, and then also refer to Isaiah. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. In order to get a background to really appreciate what is being said in this verse. And I think as you really see the background, this verse comes powerfully alive. And that is my hope this evening. And it's really what uh, we hope to accomplish as we look at all these different verses that they would, even though they'd be well-known and common verses would take on a, a deeper and a richer uh, understanding. So, the introduction. The book of Zechariah contains many fascinating prophecies. In addition, the message of Zechariah is one of encouragement to Zerubbabel to continue the work of rebuilding the temple. The book of Zechariah has much in common with the book of Haggai, both books deal with the same issue, the need to rebuild the temple. The temple's been destroyed. Children of Israel have gone into captivity. They have been released, gone back to the land, and now the temple needs to be rebuilt. However, there are nuances and differences between the two books. The book of Haggai is primarily addressed to the people. Haggai 1-2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And Haggai 2.2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say... So the book of Haggai primarily addressed to the uh, Israelites that have returned. The book of Zechariah is primarily addressed to Zerubbabel and the leaders that existed among them. Zechariah 4.6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So the primary audience for Haggai is the people, and for Zechariah it's the leadership. The purpose of the book of Haggai is to stress the people the value and importance of rebuilding the temple. It's worth it. The purpose of the book of Zechariah is to stress to Zerubbabel 
the feasibility of rebuilding the temple. It can be done. It can be done. And the encouragement, of course, is that it won't be done by might or by power, but by God's Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. How can this work be accomplished? Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. But then you have to ask the question, well, how does God's Spirit build the temple? What does that mean? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit is this temple going to be rebuilt. Well, why did Zerubbabel need encouragement? Why was he discouraged? So now let's delve into this historical background. Zerubbabel had come out of the Babylonian captivity. Ezra 2, 1 and 2. I'm not going to read all these verses, but they are there for you to uh, look at and refer to if you'd like to, and if you want to do more study. But Zerubbabel had come out of the Babylonian captivity, along with the Israelites that had repopulated the land of Israel. They came with Zerubbabel. B, Zerubbabel and others instituted the worship of the true and living God after the Babylonian captivity in the city of Jerusalem. Ezra 3, 2. Then arose Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the men of God. So at this point, they just have an altar. It's outside, and they begin the worship of God in offering these sacrifices on the altar that has been built. C. As time passed, plans for rebuilding the temple had begun. Ezra 3.8 Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Jehoshua, the son of Jehoshadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who came to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. So now these building plans are set and they're ready to begin this work of rebuilding the temple. D, the foreign leaders of the country wanted to join in the building of the temple in order to slow its progress. There was this deceitful approach by the leaders of the land who were not Jews. They said, we're gonna help you, but they didn't really wanna help. They wanted to be a nuisance and to slow this work down. Ezra 4, one and following. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard of the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God and as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Eshterdon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now that was a lie. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers of houses of Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. They weren't buying it. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, 
as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So when that plan to hinder the Israelites did not work, a letter by Israel's adversaries was sent to the king Artaxerxes. For Artaxerxes is still over the land of Jerusalem at this point. The exiles have been allowed to return, but they're still under the authority of King Artaxerxes. So they send a letter, Ezra 4.7, in the days of Artaxerxes, and uh, down to this bold part, the letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Ezra 4.11, this is a copy of the letter they sent. Here's what it contained. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river and greeting, and now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to have us gone to Jerusalem, they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls furnished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king. Then the work of the temple was halted. Ezra 4.17 The king sent an answer to Rahab the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of the associates who live in Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river, greeting. And now... Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease and this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me and take care not to slacken this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahim and Shimshai the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews in Jerusalem and by force and by power, they made them cease. Now that's an important thing to keep in mind. By force and by power, they made them cease. For God is going to say, it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by my spirit. Verse 24. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. So the temple being rebuilt, halted at that time. However, at the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, the work is begun again some 16 years later. Ezra 5.1 Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews who are in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Once again, this work was opposed by Israel's old enemies. Ezra 5.3 At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethaz Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house? and to finish this structure. Once again, they sent a letter to the king, who now is Darius, not Artaxerxes. So Darius takes over, 
And they sent a letter to him, once again, wanting to stop the building of the temple. They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building the building? Ezra 5, 6, 7 through 9. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, etc. Uh, this is the letter that sent, verse 7, they sent him a report, in which was written as follows, to Darius, the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones, and timber is laid, and the walls. The work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? The opposition tried to intimidate Zerubbabel and others. We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. So this was a threat. Okay, we're going to send a letter, and we want all your guys' names, and we're going to report you to Darius for building this temple. However, by God's grace, the work went on as they were awaiting a reply. Verse 5, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by their concerning it. So now we have the present situation of which our verse is addressing. Now comes the message of encouragement to Zerubbabel as they are awaiting the king's reply. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying, verse 6 of chapter 4, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God is going to enable them to finish the building of this temple and they were not to fear the king and they were not to enter into a war they were not to incite an insurrection it wasn't going to take an army it wasn't going to be power it wasn't by force but God would intervene God was going to handle this God was going to take care of the situation and so let's look at how God does that. God's work is not accomplished by might. Originally, the work had been stopped by force, as we noted before in Ezra 4.23, and by force and power made them cease. However, Zerubbabel was not to fight, for it was not by might. The word might is literally by one's right arm, for most people who are right, uh, who are right-handed, their right arm is their stronger arm. The word might, so, is not by your arm. It's not by accomplished through your own strength. Zerubbabel had seen the Lord's work frustrated and come to a halt because of the force that had been exerted against them. One can see how Zerubbabel would think that you have to overcome force by force. You know, it's uh, easy to think that if, if an army is coming against you, you, you need to raise up an army or you need to raise up some kind of defense, uh, but not so. 
God's work is not accomplished by power. Zerubbabel 4.6 Not by might nor by power. It was not to be accomplished by Israel's abilities or resources. Zerubbabel's resources were paltry. He had little money, few people, and no status. What hope was there in completing this temple? It looked like it was going to be totally frustrated and that the people who ruled over them was going to bring it to an end. But word comes from God that God's work is accomplished by his spirit, by his working. Zechariah 4, 6, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The work will be accompanied by, excuse me, be completed by Zerubbabel. Zechariah 4, 8, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also will complete it. So here's the promise. The people will be amazed at what God does. Zechariah 4, 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. The hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And it's always interesting to look at the words that are used to describe the person of God, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, the Lord Adonai, whether it be uh, Adonai Roi, the Lord that sees, or the Lord that protects, or the Lord our banner. Here is the Lord of hosts, uh, referring to the angelic harmony, referring to the resources that God has in heaven. The Lord of hosts, the one who has resources far beyond any earthly king. He's going to see that this is done. The fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. God frustrates the activities of the opposing officials. This is the copy of the letter with Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethaz Bazanai and his colleagues, the officials who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent a report to him in which this was written. So we got another letter. And this letter says the following. To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, which is being built with huge stones. Beams are being laid in the walls, and this work is going on with great care and succeeding in their hands. Then we asked those elders and said to them, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? We also asked in their names so as to inform you that we might write down the names of the men who were at their head. Let me just clear up something I just said that may have confused you when I said we have another letter. I'm talking about the second letter. I'm not saying there's another letter after this one that we've already been discussing. I'm talking about the second letter. Verses 11 and 12. And they answered thus, saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven, earth, and are building the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because of our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. 
The former decree by King Cyrus is alluded to in the letter. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. Now I know it's getting confusing in history because we're looking at a number of different kings. But Cyrus precedes Darius and Artaxerxes. Cyrus is the one who issues the decree to rebuild the house of God. Background to Cyrus. We need to remember God's work in the life of Cyrus that caused Cyrus to issue the decree for the temple to be rebuilt in the first place. God had made Cyrus king. Now, Cyrus is the king of Babylon. Foreign, okay? Uh, he's the one who's ruling over the children of Israel. But in the book of Isaiah, Cyrus is referred to as the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen one, the one that God had established. So God raised up Cyrus to be the king in Babylon and to rule over the Jewish people. He was doing God's work. Isaiah 45, 1, thus says the Lord to the anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, the gates may be not closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bar of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Now that's a big deal. It says, I will call you by your name. For Isaiah makes this prophecy even before Cyrus is on the king, uh, is on the scene. If you remember the order of the, the books of the major and the minor prophets, Isaiah is prophesying pre-exile. Isaiah is telling the children of Israel what's going to happen to them because of their disobedience. And he lays out what is going to take place. And as he lays out the fact that they're going to be carried away into captivity, Isaiah also says, but God is going to raise up a king. And he names him Cyrus. Even though Cyrus isn't king at that point. But to make it clear that this is God's work, he gives the name before he's even made king. Now here is equally remarkable. Cyrus did not have a saving relationship to God. Isaiah 45, 4. For the sake of my covenant, excuse me, for the sake of my servant Jacob, and Israel my chosen, I call you by name, I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The God of Babylon, forget it. He's not a true God. There is no other God, I'm it. I equip you, though you don't know me. Though you don't worship me, though you don't acknowledge me, 
Though you have nothing to do with me, I'm the one who's ruling over you. This is Isaiah's prophecy. This is what God is doing with a king who has no desire to worship, honor, or bring glory to God. However, by God's sovereignty, his will would be done. Isaiah 45, 6. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So, so that everybody understands that I am the one who gave you the power to destroy Jerusalem in the first place. I am the one who gave you the ability to capture these Israelites and take them into captivity. And I am the one who's going to lead them out. And I am the one who's going to have you rebuild this temple. So King Cyrus' decree is explained in this letter, Ezra 5.14. And the gold and the vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought to the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to the one whose name was Shezazabar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Shezazabar came and laid the foundation to the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. So an appeal is made to Darius, for all that is contained in the letter. An appeal is made to Darius to research on Cyrus's decree, verse 17 of chapter 5 of Ezra. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, this is talking to King Darius, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So the question is, is this, is this legal? Is this what should be going on? And so they say, well, look it up. Look it up. Go to the archives. Read up on Cyrus. Read up on his decree. Four, Darius goes along with the request and a search is made. Ezra 6.1. Then Darius the king made a decree and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. Lo and behold, Cyrus's decree is discovered. Ezra 6.2 and following. And in Akbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which there was written a record. Ezra 6.3. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. The place where sacrifices were offered and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. 
And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. As a result, Darius issues a series of his own decrees. First, Darius decrees that the officials would not hinder the work of rebuilding the, te the temple. <coughs> Ezra 6 ticks. <coughs> now, therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Sheth Bazani, said, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. So the first decree is, get out of the way. Let these people alone. Let them do what they're going to do. Second, furthermore, Darius decrees that the officials are to finance the work. Ezra 6.8. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from the beyond the river. That's them. Not only are you not to bother these people, you're to pay for it. You're to finance it. You're to give them the resources they need. And Darius issues a decree containing a final warning. Exodus 6.11. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of this house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. And then lastly, Darius invokes the name of God. Ezra 6.12 May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to his altar or destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. God said that he was going to make his name known through this. And Darius cites God as the reason for all of this taking place. D, the temple is eventually completed. Ezra 6.14 And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel. By the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So number four, the temple is completed by the Spirit of God, enabling the work to be done. He said it was not by might, it was not by power, but it would be by his Spirit. It is God's decree that brings this work to completion. Ezra 6.14 And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the idiot. Uh, you know, here's the point. They finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel. That's the ultimate reason. God decreed it. 
God established it. God said this temple is going to be rebuilt. And because God said this temple was going to be rebuilt, it was rebuilt. But how did God do it? How did God accomplish it? God didn't just come down out of heaven and pick up the tools and erect this, this building. How did God do it? Answer, he did it through a series of decrees of foreign kings. B, it is God's decrees that govern the decrees in which he sovereignly uses these foreign kings to fulfill his purpose. So they finished their building by the decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Zerubbabel could not have done all of this. Only God could. There was no way for him to have orchestrated. It was no way for him to go back in history. There was no way for him to affect Cyrus. There, there, there was no entity that could be appealed to. Humanly speaking, it really was impossible for this work to go forward if the king would have brought an end to it. Zerubbabel didn't have an army to raise up. He didn't, have the, he didn't have the resources. If this letter would have worked the way that the opponents wanted it to work, the building would stop. So the encouragement is, don't worry. It's not by might. And it's not by force. It's by my spirit. I'll take care of this. It's by these series of decrees. Conclusion. God's work is accomplished by God's enablement and strength. God's works through a variety of means to accomplish his purposes and purposes. The people of God need to be faithful in following God's instructions on how they are to live our lives. We are not to worry about the outcome but simply respond to God's commands in simple, obedient trust. Our question needs to be, what does God want me, us to do? The question is not, can we do what God wants me or us to do? The question is always, what does he want? What does he want? And if God wants it, God will enable it. God will achieve it. So it's really the wrong question to ask, can we do it? The answer is, does God want us to do it? If God wants us to do it, we can. If God doesn't want us to do it, well, then we're in trouble. Bringing up in the modern time, Hudson Taylor, maybe uh, you're familiar with him, uh, a missionary to China. Hudson Taylor said, 
God's work done in God's way does not lack God's supply. That's really a modern day take on not by my power, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. G, in looking at fulfilling God's commands, we're not simply to take into account our resources, but rather to take into account God's ability to supply. We are to not look to ourselves, we are to look to God. For if we just look at what we have and what we can bring to the situation, whether it be our wisdom, whether it be our money, whether it be our strength, whatever it is, if we're looking to do God's work in our own resources, in our own aptitude, in our own abilities, we're going to fail miserably. But if we are willing to be a dependent people upon God and seek his blessing, to seek his empowerment, to seek his aid, we will find that we can do all that God calls us to do. In H, we need to understand that God is still ruling over the nations. You might wonder why I preach so much from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Uh, one of the reasons I preach so much from the Old Testament is it's two-thirds of the Bible, you realize. The majority of the scripture is Old Testament. Only a third of the scripture is New Testament. But what is so wonderful about the Old Testament is the way in which it leads us on a course to see God's activity at work. To see how God brings to pass his purpose and his will. To trace out what God is doing through history. From Adam and Eve to the garden to the coming of Christ. The big picture, the the activity and work of God, God behind the scenes. Even as we saw this morning, how God is at work and, and brings to the, the king, Gehazi, to talk about Elisha. And all of a sudden, in hearing about Elisha, here comes this woman whose son, Elisha, raised from the dead. It's to teach us to learn that this same God is working in the presidents and the prime ministers, in the rulers of the peoples of this earth. We can't see it, but it's happening. And we need to take comfort in and appeal to a sovereign God and realize it's not by might and it's not by power. The kingdom of God is not going to be established on this earth through a political system. And the power of God is not going to be established on this earth through an army. The kingdom of God is going to be established through the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. His will is going to be done and his will is being done right now in the wars 
and the famines and the floods and the weather and the catastrophes and all the events of this world. God is fulfilling his purpose, his design, that which he has revealed to us in the book of Revelation, the end that is coming, what God is doing. We are in the midst of that. And the great, great truth is it won't be by might and it won't be by power. It will be by his spirit. And when I say it's not a political system, what I mean is that it's not a system that is not under God's control. Just as he ruled over an unsaved Cyrus. And an unsaved Cyrus was placed there by God. And he accomplished his purpose. Daniel says... God raises up kings. God removes kings. That's our confidence. And that always needs to be our focus. That we might be a people that can rest in the goodness and grace of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight that it is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit that your kingdom is coming. We thank you, O oh God, that you have a purpose and you have a plan and it will be achieved. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can overcome it. Lord, there is nothing that is not under your control. And you have revealed to us, even as you revealed to Isaiah, a coming king that was going to proclaim the reestablishment of the temple, even before the first temple was destroyed. Lord, you have told us that you are returning. You have told us what is going to occur in association with that return. Lord, help us to believe your prophecy. Help us to believe your word. Help us to believe that you have everything under control. And your will is going to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Even as you taught us that that is what we are to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our weaponry. That's our source of hope. And so, Lord, we say unto you, may your will be done. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And we are dismissed.